Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, howdy everyone, good morning. Good to see you all, your smiling faces and those who are watching online, Mike Berg, Kelly, uh, Stapletons, the other Kelly, um, everyone else uh, who I'm forgetting right now off the top of my head, but good to see you all uh, online joining us and uh, those in the room as well. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, oftentimes there is a gap between something that we proclaim about God and something that actually we truly believe deep in our hearts. This morning as we get going, I just want you to think, is there something that you realize there's a gap between what you proclaim about God to others and what you truly believe about God in the depths of your soul? Perhaps for you, it's you will tell your friends, hey, God's got this. God's in control. But then in your own life, you deal with anxiety and worry and, and you're not sure and you feel like you have to strive. Or perhaps there's just something about God that you were willing to tell your friends and others about, but then in your own life, you struggle to believe that. For myself, the gap for me is really God's love. Now, there is a gap between what I proclaim, that God loves you, that God loves me, and what I actually feel deep in my soul. This is just the way I'm wired. See, we all have different personality types. We all have different ways of things that motivate us, that um, kind of spur us into action. As we grow in Christ, in discipleship, one of the things is we want to learn more about who we are so that then we don't just say, oh, this is who I am. We can say, no, now I know where I need the Holy Spirit to come in and do a work inside of me because we're all different, amen? And so where I need the Holy Spirit to work in my life is going to be probably slightly different than Jesse or Barry or Aaron. And that's part of the journey of following Christ. And for me personally, just the way I'm wired up, I believe that the more things I do, the more loved I am. How many of you have seen the Disney movie Encanto? A lot of good stuff in there. All the songs, man, super wrecked me but especially Louisa's song. She talks about drip, 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 the pressure. And she says, uh, if I don't do something, then I feel like I don't matter. And man, when I saw that in the movie with my kids, like, pff, tears started rolling. I was like, that's, that's, that's what I believe in the depth of my soul. And, and my whole journey of close to 40 years now of following Jesus has been allowing the Holy Spirit to truly change my heart to believe in the power of redeeming love, that no, God really, truly does love me in spite of what I do or don't do for him. That when I do things for him, it doesn't mean that he loves me more, because that's what I believe. And so today, as we're getting going, what is that, maybe that thing in your life, there's a gap between maybe what you even will proclaim to others and what you truly believe in your heart. And my hope is that this morning, as we dive into God's word, that the Holy Spirit will begin to work and, and you'll begin to believe truly in the depths of your soul the goodness 
of God, the grace of God, the glory of God, the love of God that is here in this room right now. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. And God, as we dive into the book of Ruth and the story of redeeming love, I pray that we would truly believe that you love us. All of us. Mistakes, triumphs, good, the bad, all of it, that you love it all. And this morning, that you, we would all of us allow the Holy Spirit to do the deep work that only he can do to bring us towards health and growth and to change us into the people that you want us to be. In your name we pray, amen. We've been going through the book of Ruth the last couple weeks, and this has been a, a fun journey today. We're wrapping it up in chapter four. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along on your smartphones, uh, or if you're joining us online. Otherwise, the scriptures will be here as well, and we're reading in the ESV version this morning. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Now, if you follow along or not, that's fine. Uh, so basically, our story is there's a man named Elimelech, and he was born in Bethlehem. And he married Naomi. Her name means pleasant. Elimelech means my God is king. They have two kids, you know, a dog, a mortgage, perfect family. Famine hits them. So they decide to leave, go to another country, to Moab. Once they're there, Elimelech, he dies. So Naomi's a widow, but she's got her two sons. They marry two Moabite women. Then her sons die. Ten years go by. And in that ten-year time, no grandchildren are born to her. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. And she hears the good news, the gospel story. There is bread again in Bethlehem, the house of bread. So she says, I'm going to go back. And one of her daughter-in-laws decides to stay in Moab. And one, Ruth, goes back with her. Naomi comes back home and she says she's empty. She's bitter. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And in her depression, she can't really do much. But Ruth is like, hey, I see you, Naomi, and I, I love you, and I'm going to do whatever I can to take care of you. So Ruth goes into this field, and she happens to come upon the field of Boaz, who's a kinsman of Elimelech. And there, she gets shown the chesed of, of, of God, of Boaz, this loving kindness, this loyal love that she's shown to Naomi. Now she's being shown by Boaz. And there's this courtship period. Two months goes by where not much is going on. And so then last week we talked about Naomi. She's like, okay, she comes up with a plan. And now she has some hope. And she says, Ruth, you need to go and basically ask for your hand in marriage to Boaz. And so we talked last week how walking in faith, there are times when we need to step into action and then times of waiting on God or others. And biblical wisdom is knowing the difference between when we need to step into action and when to wait. Naomi steps into action, comes up with this plan, then her part's over, and she's now got to wait on Ruth and see if she does it and wait on Boaz. Ruth steps into action, comes to Boaz in the middle of the night and basically presents herself and says, you know, would you redeem me? And, and then now she takes a step of faith and now it's out of her hands. So now she has to wait and see what's going to happen. So now Boaz, it's his turn to step into action. And now it'd be easy for Boaz, as a single man, to be like, all right, this young woman, she wants to marry me. You know what? I'm going to take some time. 
uh, you know, I'm going to enjoy my last days as a bachelor, you know, hit it up, go to Vegas or whatever, you know, have some fun. But what does he do? He steps into action instantly. And there are times when we need to be done waiting and take that action and step into faith. And that's what Boaz is doing here now. And so what we're going to see, though, is Boaz is second in line to redeem Naomi and Ruth. But there's a redeemer who's closer in family line than him. See, in the Old Testament law that God gave to Moses, there was something called the Leverite law. And basically it was to help take care of, of uh, widows who hadn't had children yet. And so what the idea was, if a woman is married to a man, husband dies and no children, then the next younger brother or cousin was supposed to marry that widow, and then their first child did not belong to that man, but actually belonged to the household of the, the, the relative who had died. And so that way then the land would stay in that family because land could only be passed down through an heir or through a, through a son. And so in this situation, we have a relative of Elimelech who's closer than Boaz. And so he gets first right of refusal. So Boaz is stepping into action, but he's got to see what is this other redeemer, this other clansman, is he going to want to marry Ruth? Because he, he had the opportunity to buy their, their land and their property. And so we're, we're going to see what, what happens here. So Boaz, he goes up to the gate, and this is where they do a lot of their business at the, kind of the, the town gates. And behold, the redeemer, you don't actually get his name, he's the unnamed redeemer, he's the closer relative, <coughs> of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. Here we see Boaz, he's speaking kindly to his rival, really, his family member. He's like, hey friend, come sit down, let's talk. And then he grabs some elders. He doesn't go into kind of some back uh, you know, room, shady dealings. Instead he says, hey, hey, some elders, we're going to come and let's, let's figure this out together in sight of all. One thing about Boaz, he's put himself under the spiritual authority of these elders uh, in the community. And this is good for all of us. I'm under the spiritual uh, accountability of our governing team here at Mosaic. I also have pastors uh, in our denomination who are also I submit to. In your life, you need to have people in your life that you will submit to spiritually and for guidance and for wisdom. Because we all have blind spots that we can't see. That's why they're called blind spots. And so Boaz is getting his elders together. Hey, we're going to do this business deal. And, and I want to make sure you see something you know, that, that's not good. Are, 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 is this all good? And so he's submitting to them right now. And so they're going to do this all, this deal together. Then he said to the redeemer, his relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Naomi had inherited some land from her husband, but she doesn't have any sons. So the land's going to be lost with her when she dies. So she's going to sell it to try to make some money so that she can survive. But really what she needs is a redeemer to buy that land and then to keep it in the family line. And they also would then marry her daughter-in-law. <clears throat> but Boaz doesn't bring up Ruth at first. He's just talking about the land. This is very shrewd. He says, so I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me, that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So you get first right refusal, 
and then me. He's like, if you want to get this land and add it to the land you already have, you get the first rights to buy this, so let me know. And the relative says, I will redeem it. So first, Boaz has probably got to be like a little like, his heart sinking. He's like, oh man, I was hoping he'd say no. But he's got kind of his ace in the hole. He hasn't talked about Ruth and that, that whole situation yet. And then Boaz said, well, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, her daughter-in-law, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. This is the Leverite law. So it says, if you buy this land, then you also inherit Ruth. You will marry her, perhaps as one of your wives. Back then, it was okay. And then your firstborn son that you have with them will belong to Ruth and the line of Elimelech, not you. Then the Redeemer said, ah, no, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. He's like, yeah, I don't want to have a child that then doesn't belong in my line. And what if I don't have another child then? And then my land's going to go to this other house. And uh, financially, this is not the best decision for me. He says, take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He's like, ah, I don't want to marry her and give, give my inheritance to their line. So I'm refusing. You can take it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So they give him their shoe. <coughs> so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day, all in the public, that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Limelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Those are the two sons. And so... Uh, Ruth goes with that. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow, widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Now, this isn't like some kind of sketchy, like buying a bride. Ruth has offered herself to Boaz. She wants to be married to him, so it's not like he's buying her against her will. To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. These are like two of the big matriarchs in the family of God. If you remember the story, you have Abraham married Sarah, had Isaac. Isaac marries Rebekah, has um, Jacob and Esau. Jacob falls in love with Rachel, but his father-in-law tricks him to marry Leah first, the sister these are Jacob's sister's wives. We talked about them in our first year as a church. Imagine the conflict. Rachel was loved. Leah was not. But who did God select for the line of, of Jesus and King David? Leah, which is pretty cool. God selects what others rejects. One of my favorite stories. So they're saying, may Ruth be like both Rachel and Leah, the one who was loved and the one who was chosen. Ruth is going to be both loved and chosen. How cool is that? Who together built up the house of Israel. The 12 tribes come from these two women. May you act worthily in Epaphrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. So Boaz, he gets what he wants. He's very shrewd. He talks about the land first. And the guy's like, yeah, I'll buy the land. He's like, well, then you have to, you have to marry Mo, uh, Ruth as well. He's like, yeah, no. So now Boaz gets to marry Ruth. He gets the land and the inheritance. And the name of Elimelech will live on. And everyone now is blessing this. And so we've seen this other redeemer chooses not to redeem, but Boaz, 
the Redeemer. He does redeem. So what does a Redeemer do? We'll talk about that in a sec. And they say, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Remember the story of Tamar? She was married to uh, a guy who was not a good guy. The Lord struck him dead. So then the younger brother was supposed to marry her according to the Leverite law. He does it. He's also wicked. God strikes him down. So then Judah, who's her father-in-law, is like, "Ah, I don't want to give up any more sons to this woman. And then Tamar kind of tricks Judah into doing the Leverite law. Judah ends up marrying his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and that's now the lion that Boaz comes from. Uh, The lion of King David and Jesus are coming from this whole thing. And again, we talk about that whole thing about Judah, failure as a husband, failure as a father, messes up, messes up, horrible brother. He becomes a patriarch in this moment. He does what's right by Tamar. He marries her, Lion of, of Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah comes from there. Love the story of Judah. It's very cool. Because of the offspring of the Lord will give you by this young woman. So everyone's like, hey, we hope that you're blessing. You're going to be like Rachel and Leah, and you're going to have offspring like Tamar and Judah, and you're going to be strong and mighty. And spoiler alert, we see that happen. Through this comes King David, the giant slayer, and eventually Jesus. What does redemption mean? Boaz, he's redeeming Ruth and, and, and bringing redemption to both Ruth and Naomi. So what does redemption mean? Number one, redemption is an act of grace. Boaz didn't have to do this. Like the first redeemer, he could have refused and said, hey, you know, I don't, I don't want to. But it's completely an act of grace, of unmerited favor to say, yes, I want to love and choose Ruth. Redemption is public. This happened in front of everyone. Not some hidden secret thing. Redemption is is a public thing in front of others. It's an act of love. Boaz, we see he loves Ruth. He chooses her. He acknowledges her. He's going to uh, uh, do whatever he can to redeem her. Redemption comes with a price. Boaz is going to have to buy this land and then marry Ruth. Firstborn son actually won't be in his line because he's carrying on the line of Elimelech. And so there's a price there. The first redeemer wasn't willing to pay that price, but he is willing to pay that price. It's priceless. Ruth is a peasant from a foreign country. She really has no assets. There's nothing she could have done to redeem the land, to redeem herself. She could not pay the price for her redemption. But Boaz could. It's irreversible. Once Boaz says, hey, this is a done deal, and the other redeemer gives him the shoe, this happens. Now Ruth is redeemed. Once redeemed, always redeemed. But it must be accepted. Ruth came to Boaz and said, hey, I'm putting myself at your feet. Be my husband. Be my Lord. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Remember, first husband, 10 years, no children. Now the Lord opens up her womb, blesses her with a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. They're giving praise to God. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. 
They're saying to Naomi, hey, you have a redeemer now. Praise the Lord what he has given you. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you as a restorer of life, this grandson now, and a nourisher of your old age. Someone who's going to take care of you as you get old. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now, Ruth, foreign woman, comes into a new land. She's a husband now. She has land. She has property. She's given birth to a son. And I'm sure she is basking in life and, and the newness of giving birth. But maybe this is even the best compliment she could possibly receive. And I just picture Ruth glowing even more. See, back then, sons were everything. <laughs> that, that's to pass it down. Daughters weren't as precious, sadly. But the women of the land are saying, Ruth, she's better than seven sons. Like, how amazing is that? Seven is the number of completion. They're like, even perfect sons. Ruth is better because of all that she has done for you, because of the chesed she has shown to you, the loving kindness. What an amazing testimony of the women of the village to say about Ruth. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, her grandson, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. What? I thought it was Ruth's, but it's through her line now. She once was empty, now she's filled. Remember, she said, don't call me Naomi, because I'm bitter. But now she's back to being pleasant and lovely. God has done a 360. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, by Rahab, we talked about that. Boaz fathered Obed, who was just born. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, the king. And from the line of David, who comes? Jesus. In the, chapter 4, we see four redeemers. Number one, the unnamed redeemer, the relative who was closer in line. And he says, you know what? I don't want to pay the cost. I don't want to pay the price. It's too high. And he passes on redeeming Ruth. We see the second redeemer, Boaz, the redeemer. He does. He pays the price in front of everyone. He, with love, is willing to redeem her. And, and, and through this, Ruth is blessed and Naomi is blessed. But then we see a baby born in Bethlehem, Obed. He's also a redeemer. That's what the women say about him. Hey, you've been, now your grandson is our redeemer to you. And now you have hope and you have a future and this blessing. And they call him a redeemer a baby born in Bethlehem, but that points forward to one more redeemer that comes from the line of David. And who's that? A different baby born in Bethlehem. Jesus comes from the line of Obed and Jesse and Boaz from the little town of Bethlehem. And what kind of redeemer is Jesus? Matthew one twenty one tells us, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save, or in Hebrew you could also say he will redeem his people from their sins. How does Jesus bring redemption? It's an act of grace. There's nothing we could do to earn it. That song we sang, I don't deserve it, but still, you run after me. Jesus' redemption to us is a complete act of grace. It doesn't matter what you've done. The good, 
the bad, the mistakes you've made. It's a pure act of grace. Grace means unmerited favor. You and I, we don't deserve it. Ruth didn't deserve the loving kindness that Boaz showed. Same way you and I, we don't deserve this act of grace, of redemption that comes from Jesus. It's public. Jesus didn't just do some deal, you know, in some back room. But what did Jesus do? He went to the cross. He made a spectacle of the powers of darkness and the devil in front of everyone, saying, I'm going to redeem humanity for you and I publicly redeeming us. It was a complete act of love. Jesus, in his infinite love for us, he left heaven. He clothed himself in flesh so that you and I could be redeemed. It comes with a price. Jesus paid that price publicly by taking all our sin, all our mistakes upon him. And what happened? That on the cross, somehow we don't understand it, that the Trinity the Father, the Son, the Spirit, who is God, three in one. Our minds can't quite get it. They've been in community forever, a loving dance, in fellowship, in perfect love, in community, for always. They created us to invite us into that dance, into that community, and yet on the cross, somehow we don't understand, the Father was separated from the Son as Jesus took on all that shame, all that guilt, all that sin. As he looks up at his Father, he says, why have you forsaken me. Redemption comes with a price. And so that you and I don't have to be separated from God. You and I don't have to bear the cost of our sin and shame and guilt. Jesus paid that. He paid the price of our redemption and it's priceless. There's nothing you and I could do to earn that. We don't have enough money or good deeds to ever pay for our own redemption and yet Jesus did it for us. It's irreversible. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, Romans tells us nothing can snatch us from the hand of God. No power of darkness, no power of hell, no sickness, no sword. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. but it must be accepted. This act of acceptance is not just, did you pray a prayer when you're eight years old to make Jesus the leader of your life and forgive of your sins? It's saying every day to Jesus, hey, I'm going to follow you. To experience this redemption, it must be accepted. And so Jesus offers each and every one of us would you like to be redeemed? Would you like me to pay for your guilt and shame and all that can be wiped away? Free of charge. You don't need to say a certain amount of prayers or do some kind of penance or anything. It can just be wiped away. Free gift of grace and redemption. But you have to accept it. Ruth came to Boaz and says, hey, I'm putting myself at your feet. And Jesus invites us to do the same thing. Have you put yourself at Jesus' feet? Twenty twenty-two, January. 
New Year's are a great times to start new things. And I'm not talking just about kind of your average New Year's resolutions. But if you want to step into a future that is different than 2021, 2020, 2019 in the past, you're going to have to leave some things behind. Ruth decided to leave behind what she knew in the land that she grew up in. She was going to have to then leave the identity as a widow behind. She would have to leave her culture and everything she knew. She would have to put that down. Last chapter we talked about how probably it meant taking off those grieving clothes to put on some new clothes to let Boaz know, hey, I'm ready to step into something new. Today, I believe God's calling each one of you into something new this year. But there are probably some things you're going to have to leave behind. Now, I've preached similar messages in the past. And every time one of our key leaders like quits their jobs and like goes on this quest of finding something new to do. So I'm not saying you have to quit your job, okay? I'm not saying you have to quit your marriage. That's also happened. Uh, you know, or quit your church. But perhaps there's some behaviors. Perhaps there's some mental patterns you're going to have to leave behind to step into the new of what God's calling you to do. Perhaps there are some relationships that are not healthy. We don't know much about Ruth's life, but she had to leave behind that old community, that old family circle, to be able to step into something new. She left behind those old gods, the old things she served, to step into something new. And this morning, take some time. Even just now, what is it that you need to leave behind in the past to step into the new, to be like Ruth, to, to find redemption, to find healing, and to find your purpose as Ruth becomes a mother and she becomes the great-grandmother of King David to step into her calling. She had to leave some things behind. So what are those things you need to, to leave behind? Perhaps like Boaz, You've been going through life. Your business is great. Life is great. But God is calling you to step out in a new way, to bless, bless, and bless some more. What is that for you? Is there someone in your life that you can bless with an opportunity, with advice, financially, just something? I believe all of us are called to be like Boaz and to make a difference in others who are less fortunate and don't have those same opportunities that we have. In our church, we have 20-somethings, we have 50 and 60-somethings, and everything in between. Perhaps you have more life experience. How can you bless someone who's newer in their life and career by taking off a cup of coffee, take them out for some breakfast, and just pouring some wisdom into them? As well as those who are further along in life, there's things you can learn from the 20-somethings in our church. This is the power of community of learning and growing from each other. Naomi and Ruth, two different generations, doing life together. I love it. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to write the band up here in just a minute. <coughs> I want to talk about what's coming up here. Next week, we're kicking off a new series on the book of Philippians. We're going to talk about 
joyful. It's one of the themes of the book, a generous and content life. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi this early letter about how we can be united in Christ, have the mind of Christ, to have a joy-fueled and a joyful life. Is there someone you know who could use a little more joy in their life? This guy, that's for sure. That's one of the reasons I'm preaching on this. I need more joy. January in Minnesota. Man, it's, it, it is like purgatory, right? Like, oh boy. So I need some more joy. So this is one of the reasons I'm preaching this, because I, I preach to myself. But maybe there's someone else. And, and maybe you want to invite them, or maybe even after, you know, um, uh, in this series, you want to send them the links, you know, the messages, whatever it might be. We want to spread joy. This last month, we've been talking about love, joy, and then March and April, we're going to dive into the book of James, a series called a Faith That Works. It's a very clever title, I think. Uh, and so we're talking about faith and works, a faith that actually works. And so love, joy, faith are kind of where we're going from here. But as, as the band comes up and we get to close our, our service, we're going to be receiving an offering. Again, on that connection card, write down uh, your favorite uh, family restaurant. But also, hey, I'd love to hear from you. Is there something that I can be praying for as your pastor? Something you need to leave behind? An attitude? An action? A thought process? Maybe it's a relationship. To step into the new that I believe God is calling you to do. Also, this today and this week, do some journaling, thinking through. Where is there a gap in your life between what you perhaps proclaim about God and what you struggle to believe at the core of your being? For instance, for me, like, there, there are certain things about God that, hey, I don't struggle with. I believe that God is in control, and I don't struggle with, 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 with that. But maybe for some of you, that's the thing you proclaim, but you struggle to believe it at your core. Maybe it's you believe others are gifted and called to do work for God, but you don't believe personally you have something to offer him. But God wants to tell you, no, you do have something to offer, that you are called to do things for his kingdom and for his glory. So those are things I want, I want you to kind of meditate on. Sometimes my job as a preacher is to give you a full cooked meal and it fills you and sustains you and man, and you're going to take all week to digest that meal. Sometimes like today, hopefully give you a little food, but also remind you that you have a hunger. And, and my, my goal this week for you is to do some thinking, some processing this week. Maybe take a walk if it's not too cold outside or go somewhere on an indoor walk. Talk, walk, pray, wrestle with these ideas. God, is there a gap between something I proclaim about you and something I truly believe? God, is there something I need to leave behind to step into the new that you're calling me to do in this next season? And I can't move on until I let go. God, is there someone or something or something I need to do like Boaz to be a blessing, to, to, to pay the cost of maybe it's time, of, of a relationship? Um, you know, we're all maxed out. But it's having that wisdom to say, you know what? I could take this young man out for breakfast and give him some life advice. I could take this young married couple and, 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 and share some wisdom advice. <coughs> you know, whatever it might be. I could offer some free babysitting, drop off a meal. We are blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Let's stand, and then uh, we're going to go out of here singing. God, I thank you for the story of Ruth and what a, what a wonderful story it is that in spite of tragedy and loss and depression 
and challenging circumstances you are working. And we see that in the lives of Boaz and Naomi and, and Ruth. And God, I pray right now that we would know to the depths of our soul from the hairs on our head to the tips of our toes that you are our good and true redeemer. There's nothing we could do to earn it. But you came to us in love and grace. And now you look at us with eyes filled with love. And you just want what's best for us. So God, I pray this week you'd give us the wisdom to take some time to just process and to grow spiritually. I pray right now that the seeds of your word that were preached this morning would take root in our hearts and minds. That maybe we'd get together with some friends and community groups or over a cup of coffee or with our spouse and, and talk about these ideas. That we'd talk about, is there a gap between what we proclaim about you and what we experience? Is there something we need to leave behind to step forward into the future? Is there a way you're calling us to bless others so that God... Uh, we become the people you want us to be. Not so that we earn your love, but, then we, but that filled with your love, we step into being the people you want us to be. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to gather together in community. And we pray. Amen. Let's go out of here. Sing in. We'll also receive the offering and collect those connection cards. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.